This offers us some real important truths. It offers us some real important truths on suffering, uh, something that we, we wrestle with as, as believers and as unbelievers. Uh, so we're going to be looking at that today. We're going to be looking at the first 12 verses, so go ahead and open your Bibles to John chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. A guy tells a story about a, a treat that he received during uh, the Thanksgiving break. is a television concert presented by the Philadelphia Orchestra. It was Eugene Ormandy's 80th birthday, and to celebrate it, he led the orchestra in the Second Symphony of Sergei Rachmaninoff. Rachmaninoff had been a personal friend of Ormandy, and before the concert, in an interview, Ormandy told us when he had first received the work from Rachmaninoff's hand that he wanted to make some cuts to the work, wanted to abbreviate it a little bit, uh, pull some parts out. There were eight cuts that he proposed in all. So Rachmaninoff looked at the proposed cuts and he accepted seven of them. However, he looked at the eighth and he said, you can't take this one out. He said, if you take this one out, the whole composition is not going to make any sense whatsoever. Ormond D. performed the work and it was sublime and beautiful and magnificent in every way. And the guy, as he listened to it, he compared the symphony to life. And how sometimes we look at life and we look at suffering in particular, and we say to ourselves, it just doesn't make sense. I want to share with you that the truths that we are going to talk about today, those truths need to be placed in the context of suffering. Because if we take out these truths, then it doesn't make sense. There is no purpose or meaning behind it. But God is composing a symphony. And it's not of sound and fury signifying nothing. There's real purpose and meaning behind all of it. And in the end, it's a beautiful composition. We're going to be looking at the suffering of a particular man, a man who has been suffering since birth. And I hope that as we look at this man's situation and what Jesus does inside of it, we'll gain some much-needed insight into a topic that sometimes brings us many more questions than answers. In the passage, I've broken it down into three stages, uh, three stages of how Jesus deals with this man and what happens in this man's life, and we're going to pull those stages out and uh, apply them into the context of our own lives. Uh, so go ahead and open up to John chapter 9. The first stage uh, is the condition or the blindness. So 
verses 1 through 5. Follow along with me. So remember, Jesus is hide, he hid himself from the Pharisees who wanted to stone him. So he goes off out of the temple. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from his birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he would be born blind? Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. It's good to remember as we go through a passage like this and think about the whole context of John, many, many miracles that Jesus did, matter of fact, so many that it couldn't fill all the books in the world. That's what he says. So he chose certain ones. So we got to ask ourselves, why this one? Especially when it's kind of contrasted with the healing of the man at the pool of Bethesda. So there's two pools now, a pool of Bethesda, and here we're going to have a pool of Siloam. And John takes these two, and they're, they're similar but they're also radically different. And I think one of the first things that we need to see here is that God operates in this world and particularly in the lives of those that he is reaching out to, even in suffering, in very unique and different ways. It's one of the first things that we need to see here. Uh, it's also good for us to remember, you know, this, this story is about a blindness, isn't it? And automatically, we're going to think to ourselves, this story is about this man's blindness. But I tell you what, and this went for me this week as well, he's not just opening this man's eyes. He's opening all our eyes. He's revealing a much-needed truth. And in particular, he's opening the eyes of his disciples first. His disciples have this idea about suffering, and Jesus needs to shed some light on this theology and inform their theology of suffering. As a matter of fact, he deals with the disciples' eyes long before he deals with the eyes of this blind man. I love it how Jesus is on the run here. He's hiding himself, but guess what? He takes time to stop and he heals, heals this man. So here he is, the people are threatening his life and he doesn't just care for himself, but he goes and he stops. And one of the first things that we notice is he sees this man. He sees this man before this man sees him. It's one of the first things that I want to point out. Sometimes we often feel myself included, that no one sees us in our suffering. We're all alone. i tell you something, it reminds me of the story of Hagar. When she was cast out, she was alone, she left her child to die. She said, this is it, gave up hope. Who intervenes? God does. 
What does she say about him? He is the God who sees. And sometimes it's long before we even see that he's there. And he was there the whole time. And if you and I have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, you can be sure he hasn't taken his eye off you. He sees you in your pain. He sees you in your suffering. And he has a plan and a purpose behind it. I'm sure this man had questions because one of the hard truths that we have to deal with is he was born this way. I'm sure that this man who is Jewish, who had a knowledge of God, probably wondered, Lord, why have you made me this way to grope around in the darkness? Imagine being born blind and not even having an imagination. You have nothing to reference things to. Do you think he got upset? Do you think he got frustrated? Do you think he lost hope? Do you think he lost motivation for life? Probably look where he is. He's sitting and he's begging. And people are just walking by him all the time. He's probably saying to himself, Lord, why me? Why me? We find out why here. And the disciples, why is the, one of the biggest questions that we, we deal with in suffering, isn't it? The whys. Why are you allowing me to go through this? Why so much pain? Why can't you just heal me? Why so long, Lord? And I wish I could sit up, stand up here and tell you that there's a timeline where God says, okay, you know, three months, six months, two years, that's it. You're not going to go past that timeline, but I can't say that because this man was in this condition for quite some time. I don't know the time. None of us do, but we know the one who does. And we know that he is not going to waste that pain. The disciples wanted to know why. And they only gave Jesus really two options, right? They give him two choices. And it's funny because those choices kind of, they haven't changed really over the years. And they think that this man is in this condition and suffering in this way because he did something wrong or his parents did something wrong. And folks, that is real dangerous. There's no other choice to the disciples. And it's funny because they think they have this good theology of suffering. Oh, you're suffering because of, of this reason. I think it's kind of crazy that they think he did something wrong. I can understand why they would say the parents because we've... They, there was that tradition and belief. But the fact that they're saying he did something wrong, if he was born blind, he must have done something wrong in the womb. <laughs> or if it was like right at his birth, I mean, we're talking about a child here. And they're like, that big fat sinner. He's being punished. That's kind of crazy and, and very cold, isn't it? There's no compassion. All they say, they just want to know, oh, this guy, he's a big fat sinner. 
or his parents are a sinner. That's why he's being punished. R.C. Sproul tells a story of a guy named Harvey. Harvey was, had, had cerebral palsy. He was a faithful man of Jesus Christ. Served the Lord, was happy serving the Lord. He ran into a group of, of people and became friends with them. And these, these Christians were faith healers. And they came to Harvey and they said, Harvey, we, we believe that God wants to heal you of your cerebral, cerebral palsy. So we were going to lay hands on you. We're going to pray for you that you're healed of your cerebral palsy. So they pray and nothing happens. And they say, well, Harvey, it must be your faith. You must have a lack of faith, Harvey. So you've got to think and, and, and pray like a blind man who can see. You have to believe. So Harvey tries his best and he believes and they pray and nothing happened. You think it might stop at that point, but it doesn't. And they say, Harvey, I think we got the problem. There's unconfessed sin in your life, Harvey. That's what's wrong. So Harvey begins to confess all his sins to these guys. And then they pray, lay hands on him and pray. Nothing happened. And at this point, not only is Harvey in physical pain, but now he's in spiritual pain, isn't he? He's given this hope of being healed. It doesn't stop. They say, Harvey, we, we know what the problem is. You're possessed. You need this demon cast out of you. Harvey came to R.C. Sproul in tears. R.C., do you think I'm demon-possessed? Folks, we have to understand that God has purposes for suffering beyond our grasp sometimes, beyond our understanding. And to attribute sin and punishment to all suffering, we're not thinking God's thoughts. Now, I'm not saying that sometimes God doesn't, doesn't try to get our attention through pain and if we're in a sin, we deal with the consequences of those sins. But to throw that blanket out there on top of all of suffering is just not understanding the real truth behind it. But the real truth isn't easy, is it? Why is this man in this condition? Jesus tells them, this man is in this condition so that God may work through his life and glorify himself. He gives the reason behind his suffering that God is going to use this man and work in this man's life and work through his pain, work through his suffering and display his glory. God allows and brings about pain and trials and suffering into our lives for a reason. And I know that it's hard. And, and as I preach a sermon like this, and we have all these, these truths that are absolutely essential for us to understand... 
It doesn't take away the pain, but it helps with the healing, doesn't it? That God's not going to waste your suffering. That He has a purpose for it, and that purpose is to display His works and to work inside of you. Romans 8.18 says, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are what? Not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. It's that eternal perspective that God is working in our lives. And He's doing so sometimes through very, very difficult situations. This lady, she's not a Christian but she sees something very valuable in Christianity. And she says the extreme greatness of Christianity lies in the fact that it does not seek a supernatural remedy for suffering, but a supernatural use for it. We often think of suffering, we often think of disabilities, we often think of, of sickness and all of the pain that we go through as limitations for us, don't we? And we want to escape from that. And we don't think that God can use us in the midst of those things, but it's actually the opposite. There are specific works that were assigned to Jesus, and guess what? This man was one of them. That Jesus was going to walk by this man, and he had a divine appointment with this man to bring him out of this state. In the light that God shines, he reveals himself through how he works through some of the toughest trials that people face. And the light is the light that he reveals to us that he is doing something in the midst of all of this. This brings us to the second stage in this man's condition, in this story. Uh, which is the process, verses 6 through 7. When he had said this, he spat on the ground, and he made the clay, and he made clay of the spittle, and he applied the clay to his eyes. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went away, and he washed, and he came back seeing. Guy tells a story about his daughter. She was suffering from anorexia and bulimia. And she was undergoing treatment for it. She was undergoing treatment at Baptist Medical Center in Kansas City. On one particular day, so part of her, her regimen was to drink lots of milk. And on one particular day, it was really hard for her to drink the milk. She just didn't want to do it. She was ready to give up. The doctor comes in, and he sits down next to her, and he says, You're a Christian woman, aren't you? She says, Yes, I am. He said, he said Do you remember the story of the blind man? 
that Jesus healed near the pool of Siloam. Yeah, I remember that story. He said, Jesus put mud on his eyes to bring about his healing, but what really healed this man? She thought about it for a moment. She said, his faith. He said, good, now drink your mud. Folks, sometimes we have this big difference between faith and God using certain means in order to bring about what he is trying to accomplish in our lives. And we, we kind of hold these two uh, against each other in contrast with, with, with other. but sometimes God asks us to put mud on our face. He brings us through a process, and he uses certain means to accomplish the work that he is trying to do in our lives. And this is a crazy way to do this. And, and people have speculated, what on earth is Jesus doing here? We, gotta ask, we come to a text like this, right? We've got to ask ourselves those questions. Why, why is he doing this? Especially if it's contrasted with the other healing. Because the other healing, he just asked the guy, right? Do you want to you be well? Sure. Okay, pick up your pallet, go walk. And he heals him with a word. And there was the pool next to him that they were trying to get healed from. And Jesus kind of just speaks the word and heals the man. But here, he actually, he makes this guy do some stuff, doesn't he? I mean, and it's kind of weird. We can say this is kind of strange. What is Jesus teaching us? What is he doing? Why is he going through all of this? One of the first things that we need to see here is that the answer the girl gave is absolutely correct. And it's faith that Jesus is generating in this man through this process. He's building this guy's faith. He's building his faith, and he's eventually going to build his faith to the point of where this man believes in Jesus. But that's not right here. And he's bringing him through this process in order to do it. There have been so many different answers to why Jesus does these things. I mean, there are some, some kind of funny answers. And I, I think what happens is we, we always look at a text like this, and we'll, we'll pull it out, and we'll have these theological, abstract answers that don't really hit the personal aspect of what is happening here. But some of the answers are, are good. So you could say, is Jesus, is he a home remedy kind of guy, and he's saying, you know, this is, you know, this is all, we're going all natural, baby. You know, no medicine, anything like that. So that's not a good answer for this. So, but people have provided that answer. Trust me, it's there. Uh, he's all, all natural. Jesus, home remedy, mud, put some mud on your face, right? So, but then there's the other, there's another answer, and it carries a little bit of weight, I think. It's that Jesus is going back to creation, to where God made man out of mud, and he's going to do what? Recreate and also convey to people that he has the power to heal and to recreate or to create this man's sight. I think that, that has, you know, some merit to it. And then there's also the fact that after this, this is going to stir a huge controversy um, because this is done on the Sabbath. So Jesus is working spitting and making mud is work. So that was, uh, that's a big no-no. 
on the Sabbath. So kids, kids don't, well, they're in, well, I'd say adults. Brian, don't be making mud and playing in the Sabbath, making mud in the Sabbath. You'd be in big trouble. But I think that adds to it, right? So I think that's part of it. Um, but I don't think the guy, I don't think the guy is, when he's being healed, when he's going through this process, is saying, oh, Jesus made mud. Mud reminds me of Genesis, creation, Adam, man, uh, Jesus is God. I don't think he's making those connections, or I don't think he's saying, wow, this is really going to upset the religious individuals of the... I don't think he's saying that. We have to go to the man, because this is personal. This is really personal for this man. And notice how Jesus does something different than what he did with the other man. He reaches out and he actually touches him. I love what one commentator says, and I think he kind of nails it. He says, I don't think that the emphasis is on creation. I think it's on compassion. The touch of Jesus, a friendly hand, would be reassuring to the man. And the weight of the clay would serve as an indicator to the blind man that something has been done. Two things. Jesus takes dirt and he adds himself to it. And I I think that's real important to see. Jesus is going to take things in this world add himself and intervene in those things, slap it on our face and accomplish the work that he wants to do in us. And sometimes it's a process and we have, we ask ourselves, Lord, why are we going through all these steps? Why do I have to go here? Why do I have to go and see this doctor? Why do I have to have to talk about these things? Why do I have to take this medicine? But it's building our faith. It doesn't mean that faith isn't what's healing us, but it's, it's helping us trust more and more and more in Jesus as he works through the means of this world. He spits in the clay, puts it on the man's face. But think about the touch. I wonder how long it's been since this guy's been touched by someone. And where does Jesus touch him? He touches him right where it hurts. He rubs his hands over his eyes. You think that guy started being like, oh, okay, this is going to change me. This is going to do something. Think he started having a little bit of hope. And then what else does he do? Where was this guy? What we know that he's sitting every day begging. Not only did he, it seems like he lost his sight, it seems like he lost his motivation. Seems like he lost his ambition. Seems like he lost hope. Seems like he lost purpose. Jesus gives him something to do. This guy's probably had nothing to do except sit and beg this whole time. And Jesus says, go and walk to the pool of Siloam. Makes sense, right? He's blind. He, he can get there. I think this is the crazy part. He's making him walk. And he's like, you thought you were blind before? <clears throat> now you're really blind. Now you really can't see. And I'm thinking to myself, here's this guy. This guy is walking through these streets blind. 
And this wasn't a close distance. It's probably about a football field, maybe 70 to, to 80 yards. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And now he's, he's a spectacle. And they're like, what's this dude doing? And walking around, hey, you have mud on your face, by the way. Just want to let you know. But what do you think? What is each and every step for this man? That's faith. This is faith in illustration, in lifetime illustration. He is literally taking steps of faith. He's getting to where Jesus told him to go. He doesn't know why, and he doesn't even have a promise that he's going to be healed. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says, go. Go here and wash your face. I don't know how long your journey is going to be. I don't know. It could be 70 yards. It could be 500 yards. You may not be healed here and now. But I promise you this. If you're walking by faith, Trusting in Jesus, one day it will come. And one day you will understand why. It's a step of faith, one foot in front of the other, having no idea what he's doing in your life, but knowing that he is going to use it for your good and his glory. But sometimes it's a long, long walk. To walk of obedience. This man doesn't see until he walks that walk of faith. Trusting in what Jesus told him. We may not see or understand, but we can trust in what he's bringing us through. Knowing that every step is building our faith and bringing him glory. What happens in the end? I love how John understates it. Oh, he comes back seeing. It's kind of like, well, wait a second, this guy was born blind. John just is like, yeah, he sees. He goes and he washes. He sees after he trusts in Christ. After he follows what Christ has told him to do. After he allows him to put mud on his eyes. And after he walks this walk not knowing what the end result would be. And now we see why or what Jesus was referring to, that he becomes a window display of God's glory. This leads us to the last stage, which is verses 8 through 12, the witness. Therefore, the neighbors and those who previously saw him as a beggar were saying... Is not this the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, this is he. Still others were saying, no, 
but he is like him. He kept saying, I'm him, I'm the one. So they were saying to him, how then were your eyes open? He answered, the man who was called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and I washed and I received sight. We go back up to the word display, that the works of God might be displayed. It means to be revealed publicly. It's kind of like a window display. You know, they change out the window and it, it talks to what's in the store. You know, this guy becomes a window display for God's glory and for the work that he has done in his life. I'm sure many people know this guy. Maybe the young folks don't, E.T. Do a little phone home, right? E.T. phone home. It's kind of a weird movie when you think about it. Maybe you guys go home and watch it. But there was, a, there was something of a problem to get E.T.'s voice. They, they, I mean, you know his voice. I can't even do it. That's like Kermit, E.T. E.T., phone home, however he said it. You know, he's got this real, weird, scratchy voice. So they couldn't find a really good match for that face. I mean, well, I don't know why. But they couldn't find a good match. Um, and there was a technician that was working on trying to figure out the vo- who's going to be the voice of E.T. So he happened to be in a store one day. And there was a lady talking to the shop assistant, and he heard her voice, and he said, that's it. That is the voice that we need for E.T. So he stopped her on the way and gave her his card, and he said, come on in for an audition. Her name was Mrs. Welsh. It's really interesting because Mrs. Welsh actually had a lot to do with voices, She used to be a speech trainer. However, she was a chain smoker. So decades of cigarette cigarette smoking caused her, her voice to crack, to break up, leaving her croaky and actually gasping for breath. No more speech trainer. However, It was that sound that Spielberg needed. That's exactly what he had in mind. So Pat Welsh, an unknown American housewife, became part of one of the biggest money-making movies of all time. Disabilities, limitations, sickness, even the consequences of our past sin, they don't stop God from using you in His kingdom. As a matter of fact, it's not despite them, it's actually because of them. That now this man who was born blind, who has suffered this disease his entire life, is now written into one of the greatest stories of all time, not despite his handicapped, but because of it. Makes me think of this woman right here.
Do you see that little boy next to her? He's happy. He has hope. Because of this woman's wheelchair, because of her pain, because of her suffering, Jesus has reached millions with the gospel. Millions. You don't think she probably wanted to be healed? Absolutely. You don't think she asked God why? Why all the pain? Why all the suffering? Look at her now. We never know why. We never know how long. But we know He does. And we know that He can use every single bit of it. It is this platform that He gave Johnny as a display of his glory. And, and I want to see, I want you to see the circle that is impacted by this man now. And, and sometimes, you know, whoever it is, so notice that you got neighbors, you got parents, you got disciples around, you have the others who see him. All of these people now are impacted by what has happened in this man's life. And, and maybe we're not healed of our condition or whatever it is. But how many people, how, how has your circle expanded because of it? You have doctors to go and see, you tell people about your suffering, maybe the neighbors know about it, maybe, you know, other friends know about it, maybe people see you going through it, maybe your coworkers, and people are sometimes asking the same question, what's going on in your life? How are you getting through this? And the answer is the same, Alex Trebek, Jesus, no matter what it is, whether we're healed of it or whether he gives us the strength and the faith and the hope to make it through it, as we go through it, Jesus, we point to Jesus. And Jesus uses that experience to deepen our faith in Him, to deepen our trust in Him, to bring us into a deeper relationship with Him, and to glorify Him into all of those who are watching us go through it. There's an uproar in this guy's neighborhood. They're going crazy. They're like, this can't be the guy. And we could do the spiritual flip here where we're all born blind, Jesus reaches out and touches us, we go back home and they're like, who are you? I mean, that happened to me, right? I mean, I go back home, people are like, who are you? And I say, Jesus. That's, I'm not Jesus. I don't say I'm Jesus. Let's rephrase that one. <laughs> Jesus, what happened to you? Jesus, right? But we would miss out on so much more if we just went to that spiritual application because it's not, it, it has to do with this man's condition. Isn't this the man who used to sit and beg 
And now he's standing and proclaiming Jesus' name. Now he becomes this window display of God's work and God's glory in his life. Remember what Paul says, even he asked the thorn to be removed numerous times. God says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is manifested through your weakness. The only name mentioned in this passage is Jesus' name, and I think John does that for a reason. The disciples' names aren't mentioned. It says disciples. Then it says the man. He's not, he's not named in this section. The parents, not named. The others and the neighbors. Why? Because I think God wants us to see that this could be any one of us. And it can happen at any time, any period in our lives, but the constant remains the same. Who's the constant? Jesus. And because He's the constant, He can take whatever it is you are going through and use it for His glory. In holding on to hope, Nancy Guthrie writes, hope was their, their daughter. She said, we had hope for 199 days. We loved her. We enjoyed her richly. And we shared her with everyone we could. We held her during the seizures. Then we let her go. The day after we buried Hope, my husband said to me, you know, I think we expected our faith to make this hurt less, but it doesn't. Our faith gave us an incredible amount of strength and encouragement while we had hope. And we are comforted by the knowledge that she's in heaven. Our faith keeps us from being swallowed up by despair. But it does not make our loss hurt any less. Early on in my journey, I said to God, okay, if I have to go through this, then give me everything. Teach me everything you want to teach me through this. Don't let this incredible pain be wasted in my life. She said, God allows good and bad into our lives, and we can trust Him with both. Trusting God when the miracle does not come, when the urgent prayer gets no answer, when there is only darkness, that is a kind of faith that God values the most. She finishes by saying, I believe the purpose of hope's short life. And my life was and is to glorify God. Jesus helps us see suffering through the eyes of faith. And it's hard. It's hard going through it 
And it's hard watching others go through it, isn't it? But if we go to Him, He can help us see the reasons and the purpose behind it. And we don't know how long it will be. But I promise you this, if you keep trusting in Him, and if you've given your life to Him, one day you will see His face. And at that time, you'll know why. And at that time, all that pain and suffering will be long forgotten. Father, thank you for this passage, for this truth. As hard it is, as it is to sometimes comprehend, Lord, help us to keep trusting in you. Even when we can't see that sun, help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, even when the pain doesn't end. And help us to bring glory to you in all of our trials, all of our hurt, and all of our suffering. Knowing that you have a purpose behind it. Knowing that one day, it'll be long forgotten. And there is a much greater glory to be revealed in each one of us and giving glory to you. We pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.